Who here wants things to go your way? Yeah, most of us do, right? I'm guessing, like me, uh, you want what I want, which is we want life to go great for us. And if you have kids or grandkids, the same. You want them to flourish, you want them happy, you want them healthy, you want them to have a great life too. So you want the good things in life, you want all those things to happen to you. Am I right? Yes. So I hope you're not seeking the opposite, you know, wanting uh, a life that's miserable as possible. You know, e- even if you're a person who doesn't think that you deserve good things in life, maybe for your past or something you did, I'm betting even then that secretly you're hoping that it goes better than you think you deserve. We all want a good life. That seems like a pretty basic human desire. That seems like, you know, that's a core of of who we are. In short, we want the best life that we can have. So how do we make that happen? It would seem logical that the answer is pretty simple. Do the right things. Do the right things, and the right things will happen to you. Do good, there'll be a good outcome. Live right, and all your dreams will come true. There's only one problem. Far too many, for far too many people, this formula doesn't seem to work. And when we look around, we see actually the opposite. We see bad things happening to good people, people who live right, and we still see their lives shattered. So how do you and I rise above the suffering and brokenness in the world that we see, that so many people face, and ultimately see the good things in life that we hope for? How, does that, how is that possible? The Apostle Paul says the answer is live for God. Live for God. Do life for God's glory. It's a theme that follows throughout the Bible. The ancient uh, Hebrew scriptures, the early Christian writings, it's all summed up in the book of James, who was a follower of Jesus, who actually uh, was Jesus' brother. And James writes this. He said, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. In other words, if you live your life for yourself, if you live your life selfishly, uh, God will actually oppose you. God will be against you. That does not sound good, does it? If we're living for ourselves, I think that's kind of the definition of proud. We're not even letting God tell us what we can or can't do. But, The opposite of that, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, if we accept God's way, if we obey God's word, then he will lift us up. So you you and I, we rise above the struggles and difficulties of life, not because of you, but because of God. The Lord will lift us up. If you're online, go ahead and type that into the comment. The Lord will lift me up. If you're here today with... uh, I just invite you to turn to someone and say, the Lord will lift me up. Go ahead, try that out. The Lord will lift me up. So I'm going to give you a visual image here, humbling. It seems like the the sense of of lowering ourselves before God, humble, so that God will lift us up, right? Humble ourselves so that God will lift us up. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The precursor to that, however, is that before the Lord lifts us up is that we are getting humble before the Lord. So I'm going to call this today, the big idea, what we're talking about, I'm calling it humbling up, right? Humbling 
up. So you, you may have uh, been facing difficult times in your lives right now. You feel maybe that the Lord is not lifting you up. Some of you, certainly, that is true right now. Maybe you are not even a follower of Jesus so far. I'm guessing, however, like me, you want all the help that you can get. You want good things to happen in your life. So let me encourage you. The God of Scripture, who is known in the name of Jesus, does care about you. He desires to see you lifted up. That's why he came into the world, right? For you and for me. He cares about your good hopes and your dreams, and he cares that you are that that even though you may be suffering today, that you that he wants you to uh, be lifted up. Maybe you're suffering for different reasons than the than the church at that time, but you and I, we some of us are all suffering. So this letter was written to people in that situation, people who were suffering. The apostle Peter he wrote to encourage them that they have the compassion and favor of the Lord in Jesus Christ. He said, in his great mercy, he's talking about the Lord, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, we all need hope today. I think more than ever. I've said before, I think we're in a crisis of hope. We need hope. And Peter says, this hope isn't something of the past. It's not something of 2,000 years ago in an ancient tradition. It's alive right now in Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about hope is whether it's hope for a better life or hope for peace or hope for your kids or grandkids, hope is based on something that you don't have yet. That means it's coming. The hope writer in the book of Romans, he reminds us that hope that is seen, in other words, hope that we have right now, is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So your hope points to the Lord. Don't give up. Good is coming. Wait for it. I'm doing some special exercises right now. Uh, since I, I was diagnosed with tennis elbow. I have no idea how that happened. I don't play tennis. I haven't even played pickleball. So anyway, I have tennis elbow. So one of the uh, questions for this uh, exercises that we do is, you know, why do you want to get better? It's kind of getting at, our, at my motivation. Like, here's a set of exercises, but, you know, why do you want to do that? Less pain, more mobility, better strength. But, you know, the real reason is, I want to go this summer hiking in some uh, rough terrain, and I want to be able to use some poles and, and make it up the mountain without, you know, my elbow giving out on me. So that's the motivation. I need to remember why I'm doing it. So that's going to keep me doing the exercises. So two simple exercises I'm going to focus on. There's a few more, but these two simple ones, uh, they, they seem so very basic. They're, they're like this. One is, is lift, so start down and, and just lift my arms up. Put them down. Lift my arms up. If I'm watching the video, it says start. Start. Go ahead and try that with me. Go ahead, stick your arms down if you can and lift them up. Start. 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 Do you feel any different? <laughs> no, right? Duh. So the other one is like rowing. You know, row, it's like pull towards yourself and do it again. Start. Let's try it. Go ahead and stick your arms out. Start, pull, start, start. All right, you get the hang of it. Just keep going. 
I'm done preaching. No, I, <laughs> the, the idea behind uh, you know, these exercises is they, they just seem so basic. They seem so simple. What difference are they ever going to make? But over and over and over by doing them, I actually realize that I'm gaining more range of motion. I'm gaining more strength. I'm reaching my goal. It's actually working. So I think that's kind of like what happens when we humble ourselves and live for God. We begin to see a new reality takes shape. We begin to recognize that even in the midst of our struggles, and we still have them, that even in those, God's favor is actually lifting us up. And I think Paul gave us some spiritual exercises to experience some humble lifting. Humble up. We're calling these humble up exercises. Uh, We'll go to chapter 4 of 1 Peter Uh, Back a little bit to uh, start this. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil, human desires, but rather for the will of God. In other words, they are now living for God. I think the point of these two verses is that as a believer, we experience Christ's redemption. You become a new creation. That old is gone, that sinful, that selfish life is actually gone. Peter says, you're done with it, and you begin a brand new life, a life that is now lived for God. This is, the, I think, the greatest act of humility that you and I can ever experience. It's it's actually accepting Christ's death on the cross in our place. You know, it's submitting, right? Submitting to God's will and God's way. It's admitting that we need a Savior to do what we can't do for ourselves, to cover our sin and, and redeem us from our disobedience. And it's accepting that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the sinless Son of God who took our place, took our sin on the cross and redeemed us, forgave us. And by faith, we are done with that. That sin is dead. And now we have a new life that we live for God. You know, that, that, that's how we please God. It's by trusting in Jesus. And we know that's true because Jesus told us that he is the way to the Father. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So, That's the starting point of humbling ourselves before the Lord. So have you told Jesus that you trust him? Have you told him that you believe he is who he said he is? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you? If not, I think that's a great place right now, wherever you are, online, here, to say, Jesus, I believe. I trust you died for me. You took away my old life. You've given me a new one. Fill me with that life. I want to live for God. And thank you, Jesus. So I'm going to start with two exercises uh, today about building. I want to highlight those out of Peter's letter, and they, they begin in verse 7. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Be alert and pray. I'm putting those together. Over 2,000 years ago, the apostle Peter 
Uh, he had been with Jesus. He's one of the original disciples. He said, the end is near. If you're wondering, is the end near? What does Peter say? The end is near. The end is near. All right? So Jesus could return at any time. The end will come. There'll be the new heaven, the new earth. We'll enjoy that forever with, as his followers. But until then, until then, we have a clear calling and a purpose to live out, and that is to live on earth right now for God. So humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And we get humbled and live for God by remaining alert. The apostle says, be alert. Do you ever get distracted? Anybody not looking up here today? <laughs> I consider myself a good driver. Three deer, might, three deer might argue with that, but you know. I discovered that I can get distracted. The other day, we were sitting at a stoplight. Uh, I, I was in the left turn lane, you know, a stoplight waiting to turn left. There was a, you know, the through lane. There's a car sitting beside me there. And uh, we're sitting there, lights red. And then the, the light, uh, you know, in front, of, in front of him turns green and he takes off. So what do I do? <laughs> Take off, right? I, I, I'm following along. I, I was distracted by a riveting conversation. And then all of a sudden Cheryl says, your light's red, stop. <laughs> and I did. And then, you know, I, in my, you know, non-humility, I tried to make some excuse why I was taking off early, and I was just creeping up a little, and I wasn't really, and then I was like, all right, yes, thank you for telling me. Humble myself. And then the light turned green. I made a left turn and was vindicated. So we get distracted, right? And I think we also get distracted in living for the Lord. Uh, more than we want to admit, Peter, he knew that. I think when, as he's telling this and, and writing this letter, he, he's got in the back of my mind his own experience with this. You know, uh, prayer is a humble reminder, I think, that we are reliant on God's power and strength, and we are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. So prayer is that form of staying alert with God. Peter writes, be alert. Sober-minded, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. You know, the word picture is pretty startling. Be alert or get eaten. Turn to somebody and tell them, be alert or get eaten. Now, not literally, right? You're not literally going to get eaten, but it's a pretty strong word picture, isn't it? Uh, the devil is real. He's our enemy. He's on the prowl, and he is looking for you to trip you up. Uh, so if there's a crack in your spiritual armor, if, there, if you're spiritual lazy or asleep, you know, he will attack. So as Peter writing this, he's recalling in the back of that mind that he was in the garden with Jesus. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying, knowing that he is going to the cross. And he tells his disciples, stay awake, Peter, stay awake, and pray, right? Pray, be alert. And what does Peter do? Falls asleep. And not just once, he does it three times. And finally, Jesus said, wake up, get up. The hour has come. This is Satan's time. And Peter had missed it. So as Peter is... Uh, is, is thinking about this, he fell prey to Satan's schemes, just as Jesus said he would. So he warns his followers 
that our defense against the devil is prayer and resistance. Prayer and resistance. Resist the devil, the scripture says, and he will flee. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Stay alert. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Satan's the accuser. He's the tempter. And when we are tempted, scripture said, God always provides a way out. So be alert. Resist, resist, resist. Trust in God's way out and trust in the power and life of the Holy Spirit in you to overcome temptation because you are done with that. You are done with sin. Be alert or get eaten. It's going to require some discipleship practices to stay alert. It really does. And I think that's what we do as the church, as the body of Christ. And these are exercises that we do to to remain alert and and on guard. One is worshiping. What what we're doing here today, being here and being part of the body of Christ and allowing God's spirit to flow in and through you and remind you of the good things that God has done for us. It's studying God's word, getting around the Bible, rooted in it daily. Go to a life group. Join an Alpha. Come to an Alpha table tonight. We're going to learn about what it means to study the Bible and, and be filled then by, in prayer. Be filled with the Holy Spirit as you connect with God and to renew and rejuvenate that life and power of God within you. So that first exercise to strengthen uh, living for God is to, is to be alert, right? It's to be alert. Go ahead. Give some exercises. Be alert. Be alert. Alert. You're not all doing it. Be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Do you see a pattern here? It's an ongoing, constant repetition. Be alert. So the second exercise comes from 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Well, that sounds familiar. Why does love come up so often when we're talking about Jesus? Well, because God is love, right? And we, as imitators of God through Christ, are to imitate God's love. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. There we go. Love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. another. Living for God requires that you and I love like God. It's this idea of agape or agape love. It's not a feeling or an emotion. It's a choice. It's a decision to act according to God's way. The choice is to love. We choose to love. And that's the exercise. Number two. Are you ready? We're going to do, do the rowing one this time. Are you ready? Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. All right, we'll just... Keep going while I'm speaking again. Repetitions of loving each other. So how does that do what the Bible says? How does that overcome a whole bunch of sin if we're loving one another? I think we get a really good taste of that in 1 Corinthians where the apostle writes about love in chapter 13. Think about this. As, think about rowing through this. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. Love never fails. And I'm telling you, exercise like that, display that kind of love in your life, and I believe, without a doubt, you'll begin to experience a lift 
of God's goodness, of God's favor in your life. Peter makes the point that exercising love is, can be practiced in hospitality. We do that so good here at Bethlehem. You are all wonderful about inviting and welcoming and being hospitable to others. He writes, each of you should use whatever gift you are. And then the, the other way of of serving others is with your gifts, exercising love with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you for the body. He writes, each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As a follower of Jesus, love with your gifts. So how do you rise above the suffering and brokenness of the world and ultimately see the good things that we hope for? The Apostle Peter says the answer is to live for God. And we exercise that by lowering ourselves that God might raise us up by, by being alert in prayer. Being alert, always, constantly alert and loving one another. Do the heavy lifting of loving one another and serving with your gifts. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And when God is praised, your life points to the author of life. When you humble yourself before the Lord, that he may lift you up. You are positioned for what we all desire most, the life that God has in store for us. It's only a matter of time. One day you will know his goodness forever, complete in the new heaven and the new earth. What you hope for is coming. So humble yourself that he may lift you up in due time. Keep exercising and wait for it. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your life and your gift of uh, grace, Lord, that you do lift us up in our most difficult times. And Lord, that... Um, you desire that we experience life in all of its fullness, as Jesus said, by, by coming to him in faith. And so, Lord, for, for anyone here who is struggling in that area of faith, I pray um, that you might just recommit today and say, Jesus, I trust you. Fill me with your life. And pray and stay alert and in tune to God's work in and through your life. And that you would begin to live for God. And for each one of us. That more and more we begin to live for God. And, and that, that primary sign, that primary exercise that we do is, is loving each other. Loving each other. Loving each other. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.